So I've been waiting for about two months to talk about The Last of Us on HBO because I wanted to just get all my thoughts out there at once instead of like slowly dripping them on you guys. It sounded sensual. <laughs> But the day has arrived. The finale of season one just launched last night, which is actually tonight. I have not seen it yet. So I'm recording this first chunk of this skeptical review of the season before I've seen the finale. And then I'm gonna watch the finale and come back. And that'll be the ending section of the video where I share my thoughts on how they tied this up. If you've been following the news related to the show, you know that Bella Ramsey, who plays, of course, Ellie, she said that this ending would divide a lot of people, would be highly polarizing. We aren't really sure if that's for gamers or if that's for like, people who haven't played the games. So, you know what, we're just gonna have to wait and see. I'm very excited, but I wanna offer my thoughts on the season as it stands right now. And I think that there's a lot of things to be said. As implied by the title of this video, I went into this a little skeptical. I wasn't sold on the idea of translating this into an HBO series because let's just be real, most of the video game TV show adaptations that we've seen recently are not great. <laughs> or I guess more specifically, I should just say video game adaptations into film or TV more generally. They don't tend to end super well. And going into this, I didn't know anything about Pedro Pascal. I also didn't really know anything about Bella Ramsey. So I was very interested in how this would play out. Knowing that Neil Druckmann, the game's original creator, author, director, blah, 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 was involved, helped grease the wheels a lot. He's a very narrative focused guy. So if anybody being involved would soothe my concerns, it would be him. But The Last of Us is a difficult project. It's very sensitive. There's a lot of nuance. And let's be real, sometimes video games just don't translate into popular media that well. This is simply because in video games, they can have an hour or two where the player is exploring, say, a level with another character in the game. So you can build relationships, companionship, camaraderie, fellowship, whatever word you want to use, with a character just by engaging with the gameplay loop by itself, passively building that relationship. Every time you help the other up a ledge and over the wall, or they help you take down some enemies in a combat sequence, each time that happens, there's a little bit of credibility with that character added. There's a little bit of likability added. You start to trust them as a player, because of this weird thing that's happening in our monkey brains where we start to trust people and characters that help us. But of course, in a TV show, you can't really do that. Interactability is not a thing, and that changes a lot, especially in a game like The Last of Us where a lot of things are communicated to the player passively through world building, through exploration, through dialogue that happens passively while exploring between characters, or through notes that you discover out in the world. All of that stuff doesn't work in a TV show, you have to find a different way to do it. And that's why they had to make changes. That's why they had to make shifts, which is why The Last of Us season one, I think is worth talking about from a gaming perspective, because there are changes and things that have shifted. And that's one of the main things we'll be focusing on in this video is briefly discussing each of those changes and I'll offer my thoughts on them. Some of them I think were good changes or great additions even, and other changes I just am really puzzled by and I'm not sure why they needed to be made. I'm sure it goes without saying, but I'm gonna be talking about like the whole game and the whole season of the show. So there will be spoilers, um, <laughs> so just, 
be ready for that, I guess. There's not a lot here that will be spoiled if you've already played the game or are familiar with the game, so rest easy there, but we're gonna talk about it all. Now, to begin, I don't wanna go through the entire story. Once again, I already did like a multi-hour breakdown of The Last of Us's story, the individual story beats, the characters, all of that good stuff. If you're interested, I'll have it linked in the description box below for The Last of Us Part 1 and Part 2. I've done it all. I know these games backwards and forwards. So instead of doing that all over again, I want to offer my thoughts, as I said, on the broader themes, the changes in tone and, and the things that they've shifted, and then also the major changes and lore alterations that they've made. As I mentioned, some of them valid, some of them really confusing. The first and perhaps most obvious change is that they set this adaptation in 2003, whereas the original game was set in 2013, which was the same year that the game launched. This decision was a little confusing to me. I found it a little odd. I'm not totally sure why they did this. I've tried looking it up and seeing if anybody's mentioned in interviews as to why some people think it has to do with the fact that cell phones were less common. So maybe that could explain why the the fungus was able to spread and communication wasn't as clear as it would have been otherwise. Other people think it's just because maybe they wanted to do something with cell towers or something. Like nobody really, really knows as far as I can tell. If you have a theory as to why they said it in 2003, pushed it back 10 years, I'm very, very interested in hearing that. I'm not totally sure. I think the game worked fine in 2013 as it originally was, but you know what? I'm sure they had their reasons. And if you're anything like me, you'll also notice in this initial scene uh, that it's a very loving relationship that's being established between father and daughter. Uh, Joel's shirt is on Inside Out, once again establishing that he is strung out. He doesn't really know how to juggle everything in his life, but he's working his ass off to try and make it happen. And I gotta hand it to Pedro. I really was not sold on him as Joel. There's a slight visual resemblance, but like I really didn't know what to make of this guy when I heard that he was gonna be playing Joel. I knew he had been, of course, in like Game of Thrones and that he had a history with The Mandalorian, but I, I don't really watch TV shows much, so I didn't really know what to make of it. But I gotta hand it to him. He's ended up being a phenomenal Joel. I think he's doing a great job. And every time I see anything about this guy pop up, I love him more and more. He seems like a national treasure. So, uh, thumbs up. <laughs> One of the other things about the show that struck me, especially in the first episode, is just how much that they've added. They mentioned that they were going to be changing some stuff and that we would see some things we didn't see in the games, but there actually is a lot here. Remember I said there are some things you can communicate through video games that you can't communicate the same way through television or movies or shows like that. This is an example of it. In the games, we get familiarized with Sarah very, very quickly and then stuff goes down. In the show, they wanted to build that up a little bit more so that when Sarah's demise arrives, it hits all the more emotionally and impactfully. I will be completely honest, because I saw Sarah's death coming from a mile away, I didn't really find this to be too emotionally taxing because I've already been down that emotional roller coaster and so it just didn't hit me as hard as it did the first time I played the game and experienced this but I've been told by people who are not familiar with the games that experience this for the first time no exposure no spoilers or anything that this hit very very hard and I think that's why they spent more time building up the relationship between the viewer Joel and, and Sarah and apparently it worked the first 30 minutes of this episode that is an hour and 20 minutes long is spent 
with Sarah predominantly, not even with Joel predominantly. And that's for very good reason, because they wanted to make sure when this emotional beat happens, it hits and it stays. One of the other changes they made is that they opened the show with these small little vignettes, which are meant to complement the story that's going to be told throughout the course of the episode. They only do this for the first handful of episodes and then they stop and just get right to the point. But I actually really, really like these things. The opening sequence uh, of the first episode establishes the potential for a fungal outbreak like the cordyceps uh, fungus that eventually causes the world to collapse in the world of The Last of Us. They tie it to the events of global warming and how that could cause the fungus to exact exacerbate its behavior and then spread massively. And I, I think this stuff is really, really cool. This is a complement to the story. It's not changing it. It's not majorly altering the lore. What is altering the lore is changing how the fungus works on a foundational level. In the HBO version of The Last of Us, there are no spores, as you guys know. Everything is transmitted through tendrils, basically. So all of the fungal groups and established networks are connected. So even in one building, if somebody trips, that could alert a horde of infected a mile away because it's all connected through these tendrils that spread on the ground. And as you can see with the actual infected, the tendrils come out of their mouths. It's honestly more horrifying this way. I actually kind of like this change. Again, it's not clear why they decided to make this shift. This was something that was in the original artwork for the game. They just decided to shift more towards the spores and focusing on Ellie's immunity that way. Because as a gameplay mechanic, it's really interesting to have it so Ellie doesn't have to worry about spores, whereas Joel and Tess do. And especially in terms of gaining trust with Ellie and Joel being able to see Ellie survive the spores is something that, okay, well, she clearly is immune because I would be dead right now if I was around those spores. But with it being shifted to the tendrils, that's not really a thing that happens anymore, which leaves more tension between Joel and Ellie when he first finds out that she's infected at the end of episode one. So it's, it's an interesting shift. I think I'm more generally positive towards the change, though I wouldn't say I'm like a, a fan of it or I would have made the same shift. But again, I stand by the fact that this is pretty horrifying and um, this old lady, she freaking nailed her role in this show. Like, oh my God, Th this shot right here, if you've watched the show, you know exactly what I'm talking about. What happens here sends shivers down my spine. It's subtle, it's fantastically well executed and it's awesome. I just it's great. And in general, there's a lot of subtlety in the show, which I am very, very thankful for. Even as somebody very familiar with the story, the world, the characters, the lore, blah, 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 I still found myself engaged and enthralled to try and pick up on all of the little details that they scattered throughout. Such as in the first episode where there's multiple examples of Joel and Sarah just barely missing an opportunity at consuming a flour product. On the morning of Joel's birthday, they ran out of pancake mix and Joel forgot to buy more fresh. So he and Sarah couldn't have pancakes on the day. Big bummer, but that's good because the fungus is actually being transported through flour that's being distributed through shopping malls and shopping centers, which is why it's also good that later on they don't accept biscuits when it's offered to them by the Adlers, which again is a great touch. He offers biscuits, fresh biscuits. He's feeding it to old Mrs. Adler, but thank God Joel and Sarah weren't hungry, so they don't eat any there. And then when Joel gets back home after a long, hard day's work, he forgot to pick up a birthday cake for him and Sarah to enjoy, which again ends up saving their lives, at least one of their lives, because one, 
you know, uh, and it ends up being a really good thing because if they had eaten the birthday cake, they would have gotten infected. And all of these little details are tossed in there and you don't have to notice them, but when you do, it makes it all the better and more interesting. And honestly, the whole first episode just in general, I thought was really, really good. I'm a little less sold on the performance of the actress who plays Tess. I just felt like she was a little stiff. That's my humble opinion. She loosened up a lot in episode two, but I don't know. It's very, I'm a badass. Watch me roar. And it, it just didn't play as well as I think Tess played in the games, though I will admit I'm a little biased because I thought the uh, actress who played Tess in the games did a remarkable job through and through. But nonetheless, the first episode of the show clips along at a pretty solid pace and I think is adapted pretty well. I still insist Marlene is an absolute idiot and moron and nobody should trust her with the fate of humanity. That's a holdover for my impressions and opinions from the game itself. I just think the Fireflies are freaking morons and terrorists and I don't blame anybody for not trusting them. So that doesn't really change here. They didn't make her any more competent. Um, they just tried to justify her terroristic acts, which if you think that they did do a good job of justifying that, okay, like maybe they did, but I still think that the Fireflies are not a sympathetic group at all. <laughs> but who knows, maybe that's the point. Maybe the Fireflies are supposed to be like, yeah, they're just trying to make the most out of a really screwed up world and there's no right or wrong. And this actually reminds me of something that Troy Baker, who played Joel in the video game, said when he was interviewed about The Last of Us as a franchise. And basically what he said is that in his mind, the world of The Last of Us has no heroes, no true heroes. It only has villains that are dictated based on viewpoints and perspectives. To one person, their hero is another person's villain, especially in a world as cutthroat as this one. And that's a theme that's very present in the first season or first part of The Last of Us. And let's just say that idea is going to be all the more crucial in season two. Trust me. <laughs> so again, maybe that is exactly the point is that Marlene is not supposed to be seen as somebody who has it all together because they're trying to make it out and make it very, very clear that she doesn't. And she's just another broken person in this very broken world. The other thing I have to give them credit for, of course, is the phenomenal music written and composed by the same guy that did it in the games. Gustavo Santoalayev, uh, he's absolutely amazing. And I probably just butchered his name, but his music is great and you should check it out if you haven't already. Also, this cinematography is top notch. This shouldn't come as a surprise considering the showrunners have backgrounds in Chernobyl and it's HBO. I mean, come on. So uh, of course you would kind of hope this would be the case, but every shot of this show looks beautiful and amazing. There's one exception that I found really, really weird that we'll touch on in a little bit specifically at the end of episode eight, but again, we'll get there. And also shout out to the cinematographers for ending episode one, where Joel is confronted with this soldier who has a rifle and a flashlight. And it's a direct simile to what happened with him and Sarah uh, at the end of her story. And uh, the difference is this time he's accompanied by Tess and Ellie, the two people who he cares about most in this post-apocalyptic world, uh, which I just thought was a good touch. And speaking of subtlety, once again, they have the little detail with the radios, depending on which decade of music is playing, that can communicate that Bill is either okay or in trouble. This is something that you'll pick up on if you've listened to the dialogue really, really carefully, where they explain how they created this system with the radio. And of course, we 
find out why this radio has switched to the decade of music that indicates something is very wrong. Episode two, of course, continues the story along with another edition of this sequence in the opening of the show where we are shown basically this lady who is a virologist or fungal expert or whatever her official title is. She knows what she's doing when it comes to really dangerous fungal outbreaks. And this is one such occasion where this exact thing has broken out in this area. A military officer talks to her about what they should do, and she tells them that they should blow up the city where this broke out. Even though there's only one or two people missing and they don't know who caused the initial bite that infected people, her suggestion is to just blow up the entire city, killing countless, countless people. But that's the best option because if this gets out, it's going to cause the world to end. And the reason this is important is because it, again, adds context, adds understanding, and complements the events and story that's going to be told throughout the episode. Because for the rest of this episode, we're going to be exploring through the eyes of Joel and Ellie and Tess, the outskirts of the city, and we're going to see that it's bombed to absolute oblivion. This thing's been attacked seemingly in some sort of crazy war, and if you didn't have this context, it would be up to just a single line of, yeah, they decided to bomb the city to get rid of infected. Pretty messed up. But now we see why they did it. We see how terrified the people making these decisions were and how they weren't happy about the decision that they were making, but they had to make that difficult decision because it was their last chance at saving humanity. Again, it's a great complementative change or addition. It's something that makes the story better and helps the viewer understand it to a greater degree. This is also the episode where we get our first real look at the infected. And I gotta say the prosthetics and the special effects are pretty good. And I know there's been a lot of hubbub about the infected being sort of an afterthought in this zombie show. And to that, I'll just say The Last of Us was never really about the infected. It's about how human beings respond to an apocalypse, a zombie apocalypse, yes, but it's fundamentally a story about people and how they treat each other and how they screw each other over, even at this terrible moment uh, for everybody. And so while, yeah, I would like more infected, I don't think that it actually is significantly hindered as a story by the less than overwhelming inclusion or representation of the infected in the show. When we see them, they're great and it's really cool. And a lot of the time they're just talked about and we don't see them. One of the other more horrifying changes was of course, Tess's death, which took place in this weird French kiss style because she's been infected so she just kind of embraces it but the way they did it was with this bizarre french kiss i i don't really know why they did that like this is one of those changes that i'm just thoroughly confused by i didn't find this to be like okay this adds to the story this is a good change this just felt like some weird art piece and I'm really just thoroughly confused by it. Like there had to be a reason where they were sitting around the writer's table and they went like, what What should we do with Tess's death? Do the same thing? No, what should we do? David, what should we do? And then he's like, oh, we should have the zombie French kisser with his weird hair noodles coming out of his mouth. I love it, let's do it. I, I, I seriously don't understand this. I feel like I'm missing something. If you guys know why they chose to do this, instead of just what they did in the game where she dies fighting the the oncoming soldiers from the QZ. I, like, let me know. 
because I'm, I'm thoroughly confused. But after this, of course, Joel and Ellie are off on their adventure. Joel agrees to take her uh, over to the Fireflies because he promised Tess that he would do it. And this sets in motion their adventure. In episode three, we get to see a lot more relationship building between Joel and Ellie, though he still doesn't really trust her. And it's a much slower paced episode than what we just experienced, which were two episodes that were very, very quick paced and had a lot of action. This episode, of course, focuses on Bill and Frank. I, again, insist that Nick Offerman was the perfect person to cast for the role of Bill. Just like I, there literally is not a human being on earth that would be a better fit. I think it's great. Uh, and we get to see a significantly altered version of the story of Bill and Frank. They were always a couple. They always had a relationship together that was more than just survivors or friends. And that's very, very clear if you've played the game and read the documents and paid close attention to the dialogue that's communicated. But what we didn't get in the game was this thorough background and specifically the ending of their story, which is sort of a Romeo and Juliet or Romeo and, and Julian style finale. Is that insensitive? I don't know. You know what I mean, though? <laughs> Romeo and Julian. What the what am I talking about? I swear to God. I can't talk about it too much. Otherwise, like, I'll start tearing up and I won't get through this uh, whole video. But I thought this was just wonderfully executed. And it's meant to offer sort of a different message than what we originally got in the game with these characters. Because in the games, all of these smaller stories that you experience, whether it be what you see happen with, of course, Sam and Henry or Bill and Frank in the game, or of course, Tess, we see in the game a bunch of smaller stories that tell you, yeah, you can care about people, but often you'll just end up sad and dead. And in the game, it's meant to be like, yeah, but even then, it's still worth it. But in the show, they wanted to tweak it and say, yeah, no, sometimes it ends badly. Like with Sam and Henry. Yes, sometimes you end up hurt and hurt people, hurt other people. And sometimes it just ends tragically. But other times it ends beautifully. And as we saw in the note that Bill left behind that Ellie reads to Joel, it's clear that he thinks it's worth loving someone even if it's going to eventually end. That makes it worth it because this life is just too short to go it alone. And that offers a more positive story and an impact to Joel that makes him start thinking, maybe I should try to find somebody to care about once again after everything happened with Sarah. And on a less serious note, we also get to see Ellie uh, get her uh, notable shirt, her very iconic shirt in this episode, which I thought was a great little nod to those of us who played the games. I thought this was awesome. Now in episode four, which is pretty straightforward, we see more uh, relationship building with Joel and Ellie, of course. And we also see smaller changes made, slight alterations to keep the pacing up a little bit more on par with where they need it to be. An example of the really minor changes would be like in the game, they get jumped in Pittsburgh and that's where they meet Sam and Henry and all of that goes down. But in the show, they meet in Kansas City. I'm not really sure why they made this change. My guess is that they looked at like the maps of travel times and distances and thought that this made more sense if you were trying to get to Wyoming, you would go this route. So I guess they just decided to do this. Uh, it's really not that big of a change, but it was one that I noticed because I'm familiar with the games, but really not a big deal. Like, sure, if I wanted to be pissy, I could throw a fit about it and be like, they're just changing stuff for no reason. But I really, I just, the day's too, too short. Like, 
I don't have the energy to be that nitpicky. And that's coming from me, like a world-renowned nitpicker and somebody who loves to go into detail and tear things apart in a nitty-gritty way. And honestly, like that's such a minor complaint. If that's the worst you have to say about this show, it's probably a pretty good show. <laughs> One of the bigger changes though, was this addition of a character named Kathleen. Her role in the story is basically to show what can go badly when somebody like Marlene takes over, when they overthrow basically a military militia and the people grow uh, in power and take over. It can go badly because sometimes the wrong people take over. And uh, in fact, often it will go badly because eventually the wrong person will take control. And uh, like, I get why she's here. I thought that they spent way too much time focused on her as a character. I'm more interested in Joel and Ellie. And I felt like this episode was really, really weird because they just kept cutting back to her. And I was like, I don't, I don't really care. Like, again, we're talking about perspectives. I get that she's the hero of her own story, but my hero in this story is Joel. So like, show me Joel. You know, if you want to give me a season three focused on Kathleen, go for it, I guess. I don't know if it'll be that good, but go for it. I just don't, like, I don't really care. <laughs> it's like all those tidbits in the Witcher Netflix series where they keep cutting back to Frangilla and you're like, I don't give a crap. Stop showing me Frangilla. She's not that interesting. She's kind of cringe and nobody cares, but they keep cutting away to her talking for like a 10 minute monologue at a time. And you're like, shut up and go back to The Witcher because I'm watching a TV show called The Witcher. Okay, sorry, sorry. I got triggered, I got triggered. Oh my God, Luke's a snowflake. Yep, sure I am, confirmed. Fact check confirmed, let's move on. It's also in this episode that we see the first tidbit of vulnerability on Joel's part where he really clearly cares for Ellie. She has to kill somebody in order to protect him and save him uh, because he didn't hear them coming because he's deaf in his, his uh, left or right ear, one of his ears, because it's where he's been shooting all of these years. It makes sense with the character and it's justified and it reestablishes that he's also old and he's got high mileage on his engine so I, I like i get it and i think it's just a really really good touch in the next episode there's yet more rambling and focus on kathleen as a character i think this one establishes her as a little more interesting and cutthroat but once again i just don't think it really matters we also get to see the actor who played tommy in the games he has like a two episode cameo here and I, he did like really good i'll I'll give it to him, I thought he was great. We also get more of Sam and Henry in detail. One of the other alterations they made is that now Sam is deaf. This was not in the games and the change feels, if I had to put a word on it, it feels contrived. It feels like they were trying to find a way to swap the character up a little bit more and do something interesting, uh, subvert expectations perhaps. And while I find it interesting, like, okay, yeah, how would a deaf character navigate this world? It, it's interesting, but like, I, I, don't, I don't, I just, I, again, it just feels like changing it to see what it would be like if they changed it. It's fine. I don't think it hurt the show at all. I think it offered a couple of moments where I was like, that's interesting. Okay, how would that work? Yeah, if he can't hear people coming, how could that change? Okay, that's kind of interesting. But it didn't feel like it added anything. This one did just feel like a change for the sake of changing things. It was also in this episode where I saw a few things that made me really appreciate the games more, such as this sequence in this underground bunker where a family had been posted up. They had kids clearly, there's toys and artwork from kids all over the thing. And in the game, you go through this section and you explore the levels and things and you find the same forts and games and things. And it's really, really interesting to see what was a home for this family 
turned to absolute crap and you wonder okay well if the family was here where is the family now and as you continue exploring eventually you find them and honestly it makes it all the more emotionally impactful when you see how great things were at one time in this space and how quickly things of course went belly up and how horrible it must have been for everybody. So I felt like this moment and this sequence didn't land as hard in the show because we didn't have that interactability, but they tried to make the most of it by instead focusing on a bond between Ellie and Sam. I also felt that their relationship was a little more contrived. Again, I think part of it is because in this version of the story, Sam is deaf. And so every time Ellie's interacting with him, it feels a little forced and contrived, but maybe that's just me and uh, maybe I'm just reading into it too much, but it just never felt like she actually like really cared about Sam. It, it always felt like, okay, go play with Sam, go do something. You know, it didn't feel real in the same way. And once again, the idea of having these smaller stories that push Joel into growing as a character and learning to love again and open his heart to other people. This is once again, another example of that because we have Henry and Sam, he's saying, yeah, you know, you love these little buggers so much, you would do anything for them, but you know, you never know when something could go wrong. And even still it's, worth it and it's uh, again another little thing that just pushes joel a little bit further in a subtle way but it's noticeable and of course more random crap with kathleen that we're like supposed to care about <laughs> we also have this absolutely bonker sequence at the end of the chapter of the story with the infected coming out from the underground it was a cool touch and um again like i said earlier when the infected show up in this season they show up, you know, it's not like they pop up and it's like kind of underwhelming. No, when they're here, they are here in full force and it's awesome. Honestly, I thought that this was a much more interesting way of sort of wrapping up the story of this chapter compared to what they did in the games where it just kind of ends abruptly as they escape across uh, the river and then through the bunkers and everything. I, I thought this was really, really cool. So I think this was a cool change. And then, of course, we all know how the story ended. Very, very sad. I thought, again, because I saw this coming, it didn't hit me anywhere near as emotionally as I expected it to. But, you know, what? maybe that's just me. And then the episode, of course, ends with this shot, which is just straight out of the game. I think this is awesome. Reminds me of The Road, which, of course, was one of the original inspirations uh, for the story of The Last of Us. And, again, cinematography, top-notch. Oh, love it. In episode six, we get to see again more relationship building between Joel and Ellie. And of course, they reunite with Tommy and arrive in Jackson. And I'm also pretty sure we get to see Dina when they arrive in Jackson as well, because she's watching Ellie and then quickly rushes off when Ellie calls her out. We'll see if this is actually Dina and if they bring her over to season two, they already cast it. As far as I'm aware, they haven't cast most of the people for season two. Maybe they have privately and they just haven't announced it publicly yet. But if they already cast Dina and this turns out to be her, then that's pretty cool. I will say though that this episode is where it started to feel a little bit rushed. It felt like they had really taken their time to build things up through the first five episodes and now things were starting to get a little crunch they're like okay well we're in jackson we still have to go to the university and then joel has to get injured and then we got david then we've got going all the way over to utah there's a lot to do here we gotta start rushing and it it starts to feel as though they're really clipping along at a fast pace and i really am a firm believer that this 
show could have really benefited from maybe two or three more episodes where they took their time a little bit more, perhaps two episodes exploring David and his whole compound. Uh, it just feels a little rushed. If I'm being real, this is something that's going to be case by case. Of course, you might not have felt it was rushed. People who are not experienced or familiar with the story already might not feel it's rushed or might feel like it's super rushed. I'm not really sure. But for me, as somebody familiar with the games and the stories already, it felt like this was the moment that they started to go, OK, we got to speed this up. OK, let's figure it out. Go, go, go. You know? And of course, another small change, Joel doesn't fall on a thing of rebar in this episode. Instead, he gets stabbed or shanked, basically. And uh, it's not that big of a change. Honestly, it probably is just to make this a little bit more believable because getting impaled with like rusty rebar is probably a lot harder to survive and come back from than seemingly a, a somewhat clean dagger or something but again it's a change for the sake of changing it's a little bit different but it's just probably done to make it a little bit more believable episode seven is all about ellie's relationship with riley basically this is the entirety of the left behind dlc from 2014 i believe is when it launched and i thought it was pretty well done it's a pretty true to life retelling of that dlc with a couple of slight modifications here and there it makes the fireflies out to be like really pathetic though because they're recruiting children to fight in their cause because again they are a terrorist organization so uh it really makes them look bad at least to me again i have like zero sympathy for what's coming in the finale to the fireflies uh because I mean, just look at their tactics. Like, it's pretty horrifying. <laughs> and I think it's also in this episode that Bella Ramsey gets some more room to experiment with Ellie. And I think just in general, this is where I really became sold on her performance. Uh, I think she loosened up a lot. She had a bit more fun with it. And I, I just have to give her accolades. I think it's great. And then just like in the Left Behind DLC, we see Ellie going and treating Joel in between these moments and discussions with Riley. It's paced really, really well, and I, I just think that this was awesome. I, I love it. I love it. The one thing I would say is that, again, with the idea of pacing at the forefront of our minds at this point, it feels like we were clipping along, and it started to feel a little rushed towards the uh, end of the last episode, episode six, and then we get to episode seven, and it's basically a flashback episode. So it, it again feels like the pacing's a little bit off, a little shifted and tilted. Again, maybe just me, but I'm just reporting on what I thought. The next episode, we get to meet David and his crew, of course, with Troy Baker, who played Joel in The Last of Us games. Uh, so it was really cool to see him get like a more elaborate role in the show. And I thought this was a great fit for him. I thought he did uh, a great job. Now, one of the biggest shifts, of course, is what they did with David. David, of course, is still kind of a maniac and uh, a crazy person cannibal. But in this version of the story, they really tried to justify his actions a little bit more. He's still a creep and a pervert, absolutely. But they try to give him this like messiah complex or make that more clear than it was in the game where not only is he basically a pastor or religious nut leading his cult but he also is somebody who can justify his actions by way of being a shepherd to his flock he is somebody that's trying to provide for all of these people underneath him and so i mean if he has to feed them people you know 
human meat, you know what, who are you to judge me, <laughs> you know? And again, it's an interesting flip on what Troy Baker here said about this world, which is there are no definitive heroes. There's only heroes and villains based on your perspective. To David's followers, he is a hero. But to anybody else who comes in, he's clearly a villain, killing people and then feeding those people to his people. He's clearly a maniac to people on the outside, but to his followers, he's a hero, a messiah, he is their leader. And again, it, it's just a really interesting doubling down on that core theme of The Last of Us, which is that fundamentally, it's all just a matter of perspective. And I'm not familiar with this actor, but I got to hand it to him. He did a great job and sent tingles down my spine. He did a great job. I love it. And of course, we all know how the episode ends with his face being turned into SpaghettiOs. And the one thing I mentioned earlier in the video was that the final shot of this episode felt a little weird in terms of cinematography. And that's because the building behind them in this moment is literally on fire. The entire complex is like burning to the ground. But they spend like a solid 18 seconds just focused on this shot as Pedro and Bella walk away from the camera towards a massive lake. And like, that's it. It's really, really odd. It felt like there was supposed to be another shot that they plopped in at the end of this shot to overlap it and cut it off for five seconds, panning out slowly, showing the burning building and all of his followers rushing up and freaking out. But no, no, they just show this and it, it felt weirdly amateur maybe it's just me but this shot I, I actually thought something had gone wrong I was like what what is going on this is such a weird angle to take I, I I don't get it so this is like the one time in the show that I've been like what why <laughs> it's really odd and that of course brings us to the finale which I'm about to go upstairs and watch for myself to see what it's like. So uh, I'm gonna go do that and I'll be back in about 45 minutes to an hour and I will offer my thoughts on how they wrap this thing up, okay? So let's see, uh, let's see how they do. One eternity later. Okay, so in general, I think that was pretty good. I think it was fairly solid. I loved the little inclusion of the one, the only Ashley Johnson. Of course, she's amazing. And actually, funnily enough, when we were watching this just now, uh, Nikki, my my wife, she <laughs> was like, oh, it's Ellie, just from the grunts. Because <laughs> during this initial sequence where she's running through the forest, she's like, ah, ah, ah. And because you play The Last of Us and you know the characters grunt so well because you hear that so much, she was able to recognize that this is actually <laughs> Ellie just from the grunting, which I find kind of hilarious, honestly. But I thought this whole sequence was really, really interesting. Gives us a little backstory as to why Ellie is probably immune because she was exposed to the fungus while technically still, I guess, attached to her mother. And so that somehow allowed her to develop this thing in tandem with the fungus. Really, really confusing, but you know what? This is, I mean, it's fiction, so it's not that serious. <laughs> I will say that uh, having a pregnant wife makes this opening bit uh, really tough to watch, and it made it pretty tough for uh, Nikki to watch as well, because, of course, this is like an actual living nightmare to basically welcome in a child into the world and then immediately know that you are not going to see the child like live or grow up to be anybody like immediately you have to 
let go. Like it's an actual nightmare. So this was tough to watch, but I think that that's partially the point. The bits with Joel and Ellie in this episode are very reminiscent of the game's beats in this chapter of the story, where you can tell there's been a lot of bonding that's taken place since the whole thing went down with David. They now are very, very close together. Um, Joel's opened up a lot. And this is even seen in this section here where they're sitting and chatting and Joel opens up about Sarah and a attempt on himself, just to leave it very, you know, advertiser friendly. Uh, and it's, it's very interesting, you know, he's opening up to Ellie and you can tell that they've made a lot of progress with their relationship, even though Ellie's a little distant because she's preparing for what's coming and she knows that this journey is probably about to come to an end, but still it's, it's really well done. But still, I would insist that largely this feels pretty, I don't know how else to say it, rushed, but even in the first game, it felt a little rushed as well because after David's camp thing happens it cuts to black and then we cut forward to spring and all of a sudden they're very very close they are talking openly with each other joel is speaking emotionally about his daughter who died many many years ago and you don't really get to see that character building or that relationship building in real time you just have to accept that that largely happened off screen as a result of what you did see which was everything that went down with David. And the rest of the episode is honestly pretty lean. There's not a whole lot to say about it in terms of major alterations or things that I I didn't think fit. I thought that it clipped along at a pretty good pace. The bits with Joel methodically and ruthlessly working his way through the hospital seemed well executed. Um, perhaps that's a pun, but just in general, it felt like they were trying to make clear that Joel was going to stop at nothing to save Ellie. I, I would say like the couple of changes I would have made directorially would be to have Joel not walk at a very slow pace at the very end. I mean, right here, Joel knows that Ellie is about to be killed in the operating room and he sees the end of the hallway and he just leisurely walks down the hallway. I get it. It's dramatic. I love drama. It's awesome. But it didn't really make sense for me, and uh, there's a reason when I play the game, I'm always just like sprinting at full speed at this point because I want to try to save Ellie if I'm putting myself in that headspace. So I found this choice to have him move very slowly a little bit of an odd one. And then, of course, he immediately pops the doctor in the head, which, um, I mean, we all know how that's going to come back to bite him. <laughs> oh yeah, and fun uh, tidbit. I'm pretty sure that that nurse right above Ellie's head is Laura Bailey. I haven't really checked Twitter, uh, which as we all know is a great place to fact check stuff, but I'm pretty sure that's her um, who of course played Abby in The Last of Us Part 2. So kind of a cool little inclusion there. Again, I'm pretty sure there's probably a bunch of people in the comments like, uh, lol, Luke, no, that's not her. But I'm I'm pretty sure. I heard rumors that she was going to get a cameo, and I think that's her. Maybe not, but I, like I'm, I'm pretty sure. One thing I will give Pedro Pascal credit for in this sequence is just how cold he is. And I think that that's important because, again, the theme of this show really is at its core that there are no absolute heroes. It really does just come down to perspective and who you're rooting for and from which perspective you're looking at the story. And I think that that's crucial because in the next season, we're going to explore the 
opposite view and it's pretty easy to see how Joel could be interpreted as the bad guy, basically damning humanity single-handedly in order to save one person who he's come to care about. All of my critiques and things of the story of The Last of Us still hold true. I still think that the Fireflies are freaking dumbasses. Like, there's no reason to really believe that they could develop a cure. They are grossly incompetent. They let one dude march through the hallways of this hospital, which is extremely important to them uh, strategically and in terms of developing potentially a cure for humanity. They let him just march through and massacre dozens of their most highly trained and sophisticated operators. And all, all the while, you know, Marlene mentions that she had a team of people escorting her across the country and she still almost died. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's because you're incompetent. Maybe it's because you also like were on death's door at the time that you passed off this incredibly valuable asset in the form of Ellie to Joel, a smuggler to bring across the country. Like across the board, the fireflies seem to be buffoons. So I don't really blame Joel for being like, eh, we're probably not losing that much. However, I don't think that this choice on the part of Joel to save Ellie despite the potential for a cure. I don't think that works if the Fireflies are just incompetent morons. I think you have to assume that if Joel had done nothing, and Keteris Paribus, all else equal, if he had done nothing, that they would have found a cure and saved humanity. If you are, are coming at it from that perspective, then Joel's actions are really impactful and that sets up the sequel. But if you look at it from the perspective of the Fireflies being morons, um, who never really stood a chance of doing anything really notable, then all of a sudden Joel's actions here really don't seem that severe. He's just basically saving his adopted daughter from a bunch of maniacs who want to like drill into the cranium of a small like teenage girl in the hopes of somehow stumbling on a, a, a cure to this virus. So I, I think those problems that I had with the game are still here. They weren't remedied by the finale, but in general, broad strokes, I think they did a decent job of showing the things that were in the game, communicating everything that they needed to communicate, establishing uh, and setting the stage for the next season, which no doubt will be coming down the pike as it were. And even the new scene that we got with Ellie's mom and Marlene is something that was referenced in the game and in some of the supporting documentation in The Last of Us Part 2. And we never really got to see it firsthand. And so to see it in the show was a cool addition. And uh, I thought it was interesting. I'm not sure if it was like a, a huge value add, but it was a thing. All told, I would say my impressions of The Last of Us on HBO have been incredibly positive. I'm very impressed with how they've managed to put this show together, and I think a lot of people are too, which is why this has been so well received. I'm really interested in seeing how the second season is received, because the gaming community was generally very, very negative towards it. And my prediction would be that the broader population who's not familiar with the story already is actually going to have a much more positive experience with the second season. Because again, I think it's important to remember that the gaming community's negative reaction to The Last of Us Part Two came right after a bunch of leaks about the story, about the characters, the cast, and everything. A lot of which didn't end up actually being true. A lot of the leaks with regards to The Last of Us Part Two 
ended up being false. They were basically constructed by some trolls and disgruntled employees to try and upset the internet. And it worked in a lot of ways. And I've even done surveys of this here on the YouTube channel where I've surveyed people who regularly view this channel and people who don't regularly view it, but saw it in their recommended feed. And in those surveys, I've tested people who have overwhelmingly negative opinions of The Last of Us Part Two, And overwhelmingly, most of those people have very little knowledge of intricate details with regards to the game's story, gameplay mechanics and systems, and the overall structure of the game, like, you know, when you take over control of certain characters, etc., which to me would heavily suggest that they didn't play the game and instead they're just echoing opinions that they saw on Twitter or 4chan or Reddit or wherever else or some YouTuber. So they're just like regurgitating the negative opinion of the game because they think that that's interesting. And uh, with the broader population, because the game's already out, because that wave of spoilers already happened, I don't think there's going to be that negative knee-jerk reaction to the events of The Last of Us Part Two. And I think in general, audiences will understand the thematic decision to flip perspectives and show that from a very real perspective, in the case of Abby, Joel is not a good guy. Joel is like a mass murdering psychopath. And I totally get that. Even before The Last of Us Part Two, when I did my little commentary of The Last of Us, I said, yeah, no, there's there's good reason to think that Joel is like not in the right for saving Ellie. He robbed her of that choice and he massacred dozens upon dozens upon dozens of people who were trying to save humanity uh, and weren't doing anything wrong. Like in many ways, like this guy right here is not is not like a hero to many other people, which is why I love the thematic decision to focus on not all heroes are heroes to everybody. But you know what? I guess time will just tell whether or not the broader population thinks that this guy maybe deserves what's coming to him, even if they personally really enjoy him or think that he is a good adopted father or adoptive father, whatever the term is. Uh, so it's going to be very, very interesting. I'm excited to see it. I am really curious as to what they'll change, how they'll alter it. And I'm also really intrigued by the casting. I'm not sure how that'll go, but I'm all for it. More than anything right now, I just feel kind of bummed that now I don't have a show to watch on Sunday nights because I've been really, really enjoying The Last of Us. So I guess if you have any suggestions for what I should watch next, uh, <laughs> let me know in the comments because I'm looking for something. But all told, The Last of Us on HBO, pretty solid all the way throughout. Some weird clunky things here and there, but in general, really pretty good. As always, if you've enjoyed this video, make sure to hit the like button and subscribe. As I mentioned, that helps out a ton. Sharing it directly with friends is a tremendous way to uh, boost this video's performance as well. Just being real, sharing it in Discord, that type of thing. And of course, if you want to hang out with me in Discord, just check out the link tree in the description box and you can join my Discord and my like Twitter and my live streams and everything like that. Because yes, I do stream every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Um, often more days than just that as well. But just look up Luke Stevens Live in YouTube uh, search and you will find me. And you can come hang out. We can chat, talk games. It's really, really fun. We have a great community over there and I would love to add you to that community. But with all of that said, it's about 1230 at night. I have a stream in about nine hours, so I am going to go try to get some sleep. And uh, I will see a lot of you guys when this goes up tomorrow morning.
in like nine and a half hours. So oof. <laughs> shout out to Jacob, my editor, who's staying up late to help me cut this thing together in time. So shout out to Jake. Cheers. Cheers to Jake with my water. You know, <laughs> but okay. Thank you guys so much for watching. I love you all more than you possibly know. And I will see you in the next video or let's be real over on the live stream right now. Just look up Luke Stevens live in the search right now. Join me. I'd love to see you. Hugs and kisses. Bye-bye. I'll see you. Bye. I'm out. I'm, I'm really bad at outros. Bye. Bye. Soothing sounds as I disappear. Bye.